Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And on this episode, we do not have a guest. It is just me, and I just revisit some of my previous podcast episodes regarding racism. And I I make some clarifications, and I address some criticisms head-on. I'm obviously not always going to be right, so I talk about some of the things that I should have been more clear on, and that maybe I was just know flat out wrong on so yeah thank you guys so much for tuning in and i hope you enjoy hey guys welcome to the i hope to hear this podcast and for returning listeners people who have been listening for the last few weeks you know that we're talking about race right we're talking about as asian americans what has our response been? What should our response be? Um, yeah, it's just there's crazy things happening in our country right now. Um, and since we started talking about it, which was even before we found out about Ahmad Arbery, um, a lot of updates have happened. Like a, a lot of uh, movement, I guess. Uh, not just movement, but just even in the government, um, a lot of changes in policy uh new laws and new conversations have been have been happening so i wanted to just slow it down today to talk about some of those things and even talk about kind of the pushback i want to say uh, is that the right word some criticism of some of the things i've said on this podcast i just want to address it head on because the last thing i want to do is claim to know everything and lead people astray. Um, I, I don't want people to get, you know, formulate their thoughts and opinions solely on this podcast and what I'm saying, because I am not an expert on anything. In fact, on all of the episodes I've done so far uh, in the last year and a half that I've been doing this weekly podcast, I don't think I certainly hope I have never claimed to be an expert on any of what we talked about because I definitely am and was not even on this race issue I am not an expert I am not a psychologist I am not some sort of race theory uh, I don't know academic or or anything like that so if that's what you were looking for if you were looking for expert opinions or thoughts on racism this is not the episode to listen to. This is not the podcast to, to listen to. So I, I just want to make that crystal clear. I am not an expert. Uh, none of my guests are experts on this. We're just trying to be real, open, and honest about um, yeah, giving people space to have conversations, even if we're wrong, even if um, some of the things that we say is incorrect. I would rather be wrong and be corrected than... You know, be silent and never have you know my thoughts challenged or never have my opinion or perspective um, evaluated by someone else so that's really what the hope of this podcast is is when dialogue is fostered I don't I mean it'd be nice if it were it doesn't but I'm not asking for perfect dialogue I'm not asking people for um, you like the exact perfect right things to say. I just want to understand people heart, people's hearts. 
I, I hope that they understand my heart. And if there's something that needs to be fixed or altered or, you know, reevaluated, then I would hope that we can do that, you know, maturely and uh, cordially, I guess. So um, if, if you guys have been talking about this with your friends and family, I, I really do hope it's been I really do hope that it's been civil and that it hasn't caused any rifts because these are really, you know, like like I said two episodes ago, it's, it's a very sensitive topic. It's very dicey. Um, so before I continue, I just want to level set um, where my heart is. Um, when I first heard about Ahmad Arbery, it was, well, it was when I first saw the video. It was ridiculous, right? When I saw the video of George Floyd, it was even more ridiculous. But before that, when I heard the story of Breonna Taylor and what happened to her in our own home, it, it was just a back to back to back. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. So all of my condolences go out to the family and friends of these three people who really died needlessly. Um, I really, I don't know. I, I might not have said this explicitly on the podcast, but um, I'm hoping that you guys understand that that is my heart. My, my heart, first and foremost, is condolences and compassion. And, and the reason why these past few weeks has been on this subject is because I, I really, from my perspective, the best thing that I could do, or at least what I thought the best thing um, that could be done from my vantage point is to talk about it and to use my platform to encourage others to talk about it because you know I, I think I've said it in the first podcast and I've actually tackled it head-on with uh, Jessica in the episode uh, 70.1 was it or 71.1 but the episode where Jessica Wing was a guest I, I asked point-blank you know Asian Americans and black people have haven't really always had the most uh, friendly of relationships um race to race and uh, what do we do about it and my response my thought is that well it doesn't matter what we feel like we've um it doesn't matter about the way that we feel like we've been victimized by black people because right now is the time to get together and you know someone has to try to heal those wounds so why can't asian americans be the ones to do that and that i wholly i still wholly wholly agree with um i I think and the even the reason why that question was brought up is because my introduction to uh black people in america when i first immigrated here was literally two years after the la riots in la like when i when my family immigrated from korea we moved to la and it was two years after the 92 la riots and you know, a lot of Korean-owned businesses got looted and destroyed during those riots. So a lot of the people in the community that I had just joined, those wounds were still fresh. And a lot of people were affected by it. By it. Their livelihoods were affected by it. So when I think about race relations between Asian Americans and black people, I know that there's a lot there. I know that the, the tension is really heavy. And even in Georgia, where I am now, um, I can see that there is still something there. Um, and so well, what better way is there to unpack that and really understand that than to talk about it, right? 
one of my favorite comedians actually my favorite number one favorite comedian is dave chappelle and he talked about in one of his specials i think it was bird revelation um he talked about how um the apartheid in south africa was uh, it the way that it ended is people talking about the system um, unpacking it and talking about how they uh took advantage of the system to take advantage of black people pretty much and that the only way they could dismantle it is to bring it out into the open right and so that's kind of the mentality that i had i'm going into this let's all talk about it bring it out into the open so that we can try to uh, dismantle what, whatever is holding us back from really fully supporting the black community um, in the time of need and the way I, I, one thing I, I want my listeners to understand is the way that I think is if something is happening and can be seen in mainstream media, then that's the baseline. And I, what I think, what I talk about a lot of the times is either additive to those, or I'm I'm trying to add nuances to certain things to to see if there's a better way or a better perspective, and and so sometimes I can come off like I don't understand the current you know, state that, um, yeah, that I, it can come off like I'm trying to say something that I don't really mean. It can come off like I'm saying totally disregard what's happening in the world, um, what, what mainstream media is telling you. And this is the idea that needs to supplant what you see in um, the media or what you see around you that is not my intention at all and i really do um I, what what i'm talking about and again it, this is just a fault of mine where i still think that this podcast is really just only my friends listening and so we have this base baseline set where they understand where i'm coming from and kind of the way that i think and um what i'm trying to say which i understand viewers who don't know me or i'm sorry listeners who don't know me um wouldn't get so i I have to constantly remind myself that and try to uh work on that but uh, all that to say uh, i have been hearing some criticism of some of the things i've said and some of it is because of that what i just talked about some of it is just because um i might have been wrong right so uh, i want to address some of those right now some of the criticism I've heard of my past uh, podcast episodes, which, by the way, criticism is welcomed. Um, I, I don't want to be in an echo cha- chamber where I'm only talking to myself and uh, hearing like-minded ideas and things like that. So, again, have I said this yet? I don't know if I've said this yet, but um, thank you for um, all the feedback that I've gotten uh, pa- over the past few weeks because, um, yeah, it's opened my eyes to a lot of things. But... It's it's also incited more dialogue and more conversation. But uh, going back to what the criticism was, is um, there was a lack of compassion and a lack of uh, trying to understand, hear, and uh, really feel what what black people are feeling. And that is completely my fault. I I went back, I I listened to my podcast episodes, which I normally don't do because I really don't, like my voice but 
going upon revisiting those episodes, I do focus a lot on some of the fringe ideas. I guess is it fringe ideas, but some of the nuances I want to add to um, what is already being talked about. Um, so, yeah, if if you ever got the impression that I was saying that it's okay to not feel compassion for these people or that I was somehow undermining the black experience or invalidating their history of repression, then I apologize because that is definitely not what I want to convey. And what's another interesting thing is I actually got polar opposite um, opinions about one topic. It was on a systemic racism. And there was one person saying, do you really think that systemic racism to that level exists? And there was another person saying, I can't believe you're denying systemic racism. Um, And so I just want to take this moment to clarify my thoughts on that. But I'm not an expert. So this is solely just my opinion. I, I believe systemic racism exists. I don't think that it is a table of old white men uh, plotting how to bring down minorities uh, from a table somewhere and executing their will. But what I do think it is, is there are systems in place that allow white people to excel where black people don't. And I've I've really been thinking about this for a very long time, Um, not just recently. But one shocking statistic that I heard uh, a year and a half ago was it was when my wife was pregnant and she was reading or listening to a lot of podcasts about birthing. Um, She heard that black people, black uh, women are more likely to die in complications of birth than other races, like disproportionately. And that just... and, and. I don't know if what the actual I don't know if there's a definitive reason for why that happens, but that sparked in me a curiosity to try to figure out, wait, why is that happening? There there must be something. It's not like the biology of black people, white people, Asian people are different fundamentally, right? There might be characteristics, but we're all human. Um the way that we give birth is the same. So why is it that that's happening? And I looked into further dug into that a little bit. And one of the things I saw was that, again, black people were disproportionately underinsured. So they weren't even receiving um, the same level of health care as other races. But another really shocking thing that I saw was that even those people who were relatively, you know, comparably insured, Black people received worse treatments or or worse care. And so that got me to dig even deeper. And uh, I got into the economics of it because um, the only way that I could wrap my head around why that happened is because of, well, I guess it's not the only way, but the most reasonable way that at the time I could think of was that if you don't have money, you, you can't get insured. And um, if you can't find a job, you can't get insured. So I, I kind of clung to the job part and I try to figure out, is there a reason why 
black people are disproportionately underemployed or unemployed. And I then learned about the private prison system. And I could do an entire episode on that because the, my first introduction to the concept of a prison, a private prisons was, it was in a TV show about these con men turned good trying to help people called Leverage. And they, um, yeah, it really, it's, a, it's a funny show. And it's just, it's, it's fun to, and entertaining to watch. But they go to a private prison and they kind of unravel kind of the shady things that they were doing. And so I learned a lot about how, you know, the 13th Amendment, um, and this part I learned from Killer Mike's song, uh, Reagan. But the 13th Amendment doesn't free everybody from forced labor. It, it only frees people who are not in jail. And with the with that and the combination of the uh, war on drug, where the penalties of drug possession, I mean, drug use were, you know, increasingly increased <laughs> or they were, they were suddenly increased um, that created a culture where not only was it profitable to have people in prison but now there was a way to target a specific race a specific people group to yeah I mean there's no delicate way to put it but to put them back into slavery. And so that that, that whole train of thought um, I share with you because um, that really just paints the my view of what systemic racism is for me or, or what I've learned and researched to uh, formulate what the systemic racism really looks like. And I'm sure that's just a part of it. I'm sure there are way more other things but just my way of logic reasoning and research um, took me that's that's the path that i went and private prisons and um, profiting off of labor of people in prison um, meant that there was an incentive to keep people in jail and there was an incentive to bring pe new people to jail and some of these private prisons have a quota um, they have they can only stay open if they have a certain number of inmates and, and what I mean by stay open is they won't get federal funding or any sort of funding if they don't have enough people in the prison and why do you think that is that's because if you don't have a certain amount of prisoners then your production capacity is lowered and it's it's been a huge problem because I, I looked at you know then if, if that's the case what can we do to limit that as consumers because if you guys remember back all the way back to my second episode i talk about how is it the second one yeah it's one of my first few episodes um, where i talk about the power of consumers consumers have a lot of power and i think martin luther king uh, jr definitely understood that because he organized the the boycott of the buses the bus boycott right and that sent a huge message so I was thinking, can we do something about that toward the private prisons? Um, unfortunately, what I found, though, is a lot of big major corporations that used to use prison labor. Um, to just name a few, it was McDonald's, uh, Victoria's Secret, Walmart. Um, I think Whole Foods was in there, too. 
but uh, most of them have since stopped using prison labor. But there were big name companies up until the 90s, even um, still using prison labor. So I I haven't been able to find a really good source to tell me what companies are still using prison labor, and I I don't know. Um, I'm I might be putting on my conspiracist conspiracy theorist hat on right now, but maybe someone doesn't want us to know. Who knows? But if if you guys have better research about um, what brands are using prison labor, please let me know because those are I think really. Um, I mean, besides all the, the protesting and, and all that and the marching, I think one other really effective way to send a message would be to hit them in the pockets, right? Um, cut off their pro- uh, money income, money pipeline. And if we can do that, then we can hurt the private prisons. And because dis- I, if, if I could vote on this, I would vote on this right now. I think pris- private prisons need to just go away. Private prisons shouldn't exist. There's the, the the concept of a private prison. Even saying the words seems so just illogical. Why why does there need to be private prisons where they have quotas? Like, are, we're as a society, we're setting ourselves up for failure if we're saying that these prisons need to have a certain amount of people in them. And why do you think the number of prisoners you know skyrocketed since? Uh, Ronald Reagan. I don't know, but but um, all, all of that, um, I actually learned a lot more about all of that um, watching the the documentary Thirteenth on Netflix. So I encourage you guys to go watch that. But all that to say, why I think private prisons need to go away is because um, when you have a someone with a record, um, companies tend to not want to hire them. When you remove a black, like a father figure from the household. There are kids that grow up without fathers. And there are actual statistics that show that um, kids with single parents tend to not do as well as kids in similar socioeconomic conditions, um, kids that have both parents in the home. So if you're constantly removing these father figures um, from the home, or even moms in some cases, you're really damning those kids to failure and and we wonder why um black communities uh, tend to be in poor socioeconomic classes it's because the system is set up to keep them there so um all of that to say that is what my belief on the systemic racism is um i, I think that's where it starts um, and, you know, you can layer on everything else on top of that and it feeds directly into that with police brutality um, and, and all those kind of things. It's it's feeding the system. Right. If there are a certain amount of black people that have been in and out of prison, um, then there's a bias that gets formed that says, well, black people go to prison because they're bad people. And because of that bias, um, like people like that stupid lady in the park, I forget her name. But anyways, that lady who called the cops on someone who was just there at the park because of his skin color. Like all of these things I think are connected and it's not gonna solve everything right now, but I I think one thing that um, would be a 
investment, I guess you could call it, toward um, dismantling systemic racism. I think one of it is getting rid of the private prison system. And uh, one other thing I talked about was kind of individualism versus group identity. Um, So the heart behind that is really just another excuse for racists to be racist is group identity. If you believe that people of the same skin color um, are all responsible for the actions of a few, I think that's detrimental. And I think that's what leads to racism. When the coronavirus hit, um, because of some Chinese people in Wuhan um, had coronavirus, the entire Asian race in America was were targeted, right? That group think, that group identity gave people a reason to show prejudice and to exhibit racist behavior. And I knew it was going to be controversial when I said it, but I took a hardline stance saying, well, I'm not going to apologize for Officer Tao because even though we're the same race, I have nothing to do with him. And I, after I got a particularly heated criticism um, from one person, I actually reached out to one of my former guests, Kit Song, um, who is just, he's, he's such a smart guy. He's really thoughtful, super articulate. I reached out to him um, to kind of uh, listen to my past podcasts and ask, or actually I asked specifically about that part too. Like, hey, like, I, I just really want to understand what the pushback of, you know, individualism versus group identity, because I, I truly in my heart believe that too much group think can lead to racism, right? And the thing I really appreciate about Kit is he's able to articulate things in such a easy to understand manner. But um, basically what, what his response was, you know, that's not technically wrong. But if that's your perspective and that's your only perspective, then you miss out on what's happening in the periphery. You know, it's not technically wrong to say I'm not responsible for Officer Tao, but you aren't really loving your neighbor if your first reaction is to say, oh, I didn't do that. Um, the first reaction should be of love and compassion and to extend condolences. And I totally agree with that. And I, when I re-listen to the podcast, I can really totally understand why someone would think that um, I was sidestepping that. Again, not my intention at all. I, but I, I do want to reiterate here and now that, yes, the first foremost thing that we have to do is show compassion. As, as Asian Americans, I think the call to action is to um, yeah, show condolences, show compassion, show sympathy to... Uh, yeah, just thinking back to the video of George Floyd's death, um, him crying out to to his dead mother, you know, it's the only reaction that, that can elicit is sympathy and pain, right? And, and sadness and, and condolences to, to his family and to the beautiful daughter that, that is left fatherless now. And so I just, I want to make sure that to anyone that might've misunderstood that, to think that I was encouraging um, Asian Americans 
to not show condolences or to not show sympathy, you that is wrong. I apologize for misleading you in that way, but that is definitely not the posture we should be taking. The posture, first and foremost, especially within the context of a church. Um, like if I can take a moment to address the Christian Asian Americans, the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us was to love our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul. But right after that, it was to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if I lost my father, I would not want to hear about, you know, the politics around his death. I would want to be comforted and I would want people to show compassion and sympathy. And so that's, that's, our, that's what our response should be. And yeah, thank you again, Kit, for articulating that for me so well. And yeah, pointing that out to me because I, again, I don't think I did that in the, in the podcast episode where we addressed that. And, and so I'm really thankful for people like Kit, um, who I can go to, to ask, to identify my blind spots for me. Um, I, yeah, I, I would have definitely been really sad if I went the rest of my life and there were listeners out there thinking that I didn't care about the deaths of, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, or, or Breonna Taylor. Because um, I, I definitely do. And I would tell anybody and um, beg anybody to, to try to understand that too. Um, I mean, obviously, we, most of us aren't personally impacted by it so we'll never truly grasp the the pain and heartache of that but i think we can try i think we can um, try to be compassionate and and have sympathy and empathy um, for those situations so that is the clarification on on that statement um and, and another thing that i talked to to kid about was how it might have appeared that i was uh condemning the protests that were happening and I'll, I'll i'll say right now i don't condemn any protests whatsoever in fact i was planning on going out to a protest myself but my dad one of his co-workers tested positive for covid19 so he needed to get tested and until his test results came back me and my wife who had recently visited my dad um, we needed to quarantine ourselves so i didn't want to go out and spread COVID-19 to other protesters. So I, I didn't, I couldn't make it out to the uh, protest in, in Gwinnett County, but um, I, I think protests are, are great. I, I think we need to make a statement when things like these happen, especially when the authority that are in place are taking advantage of the people that they're supposed to be serving. I think protests are a great way to um, make a statement and especially when you show up in, in numbers and in force and with unity to express you know, discontentment with something, I think it makes a very powerful and effective statement. And the, I think the phrase that I said was, well, I was basically condemning violence. And well, I, would, I, don't even, I wouldn't even call it condemning. I was just saying, let's not be violent. Let's be peaceful and let's try to... Um, yeah, be civil, which I still agree with, but I'm not saying that because I believe we should be peaceful that I think all the protests are wrong. You know, I understand that the, the protests that we see on TV are violent because 
that's what news media likes to show. But the vast, overwhelming majority of protests that are happening across the world are are peaceful and positive. I totally, wholeheartedly understand that. And so, I don't know, if, I guess if you thought that I was saying when protests are bad altogether, I disagree with that. That's not, that's not what I was saying. Please don't believe that. Um, and if, when I condemn violence, it's, it's a call to action for Christians. Um, if, I were to, if I were watching TV and I saw a Christian uh, throwing rocks at police officers or breaking windows, I would definitely condemn that person. Um, cause that's the way that I think, right? Individual versus uh, group. I would say that individual is not, um, is not living up to what, you know, Christ's commands were, but that doesn't mean that I don't understand why the riots are happening. That doesn't mean that I don't understand the frustration of the black community, um, and the explosion of pent up anger um, through all the decades of injustices or well, centuries of oppression. I'm not saying that at all. You have to remember I was addressing Asian American. I was addressing the Asian American church when I said that. And yeah, so um, if, if you took it as I, I don't like the protests or if you took it as I don't think people should be gathering in the streets or any sort of that statement, or any variation of that statement, um, please know that that's you interpreted it wrong. That's or maybe even I led you to believe that. Maybe, maybe the way that I said it, um, that was the only interpretation you could make. Um, then I apologize and I say now that that is not that was not the intended message. The intended message is, as Christians, I think we can um, like when, if I were to go out on a protest with my church family. I would be out in the front saying, "Guys, we need to be pro- uh, we need to be peaceful. We need to protest in uh, a manner that doesn't incite violence, that doesn't incite um, people destroying or being destructive toward property." But I, that doesn't again that doesn't mean that I can't see the rioting on TV and say, "Wow, like I understand not completely, but I can understand that." Outburst. I can understand the the pent up anger there. Yeah. Um. I think those were the things I wanted to cover, guys. I think we should. It's really important that we continue to have these dialogues. Continue to, yeah, not be afraid to correct each other if need be, and to really help each other, um, help our thoughts and point of views evolve. So let's. Here's my my uh, call to action once again to to be active participant in these dialogues and to keep talking about it and and to keep learning. And so let me go back to kind of um, I know I started this podcast by saying there have been updates, uh, so I wanted to highlight um, one of them in particular. It's they passed a, the Brianna's Law. This was the Louisville Metro Council said, um, we're going to ban no-knock warrants, which is what happened to Brianna's case, where police officers entered her house without identifying who they were or knocking, and they started shooting. Um, 
and so this law prohibits the ability to enter someone's you know residence without knocking um so that that's great it shows that you know with through all the protests and things that are happening things that are happening um the government is listening so that that's great and i i know in georgia here there have been talks of repealing the stand your ground law um where stand your ground gives the people the ability to use lethal force even when there is a way to remove yourself from the situation um so that that's another great conversation that came come that's come up i don't know enough about that to have an opinion yet um but i i think the fact that that's come up and that they're discussing it i think is a positive positive thing and this was mentioned in uh, the previous podcast with uh, my friend lawyer friend chris i had no idea about qualified immunity um but um e- even that and the whole idea of defunding the police um and, and on that that's one issue that has really evolved um for me in, in my in the way that i've been thinking about it um at first i was very against it because my understanding of it was that defunding the police meant get rid of police altogether um which is not true it's more of a call to reallocate funds to not have police officers be the sole um group to go to for every social work or or, or you know every situation um but yeah the the fact that those conversations are happening i think is great you know, we're not just um sweeping everything under the rug and um hoping this will go away where there are people in in power people who can affect change actually saying guys let's look at what the status quo is and see where we can change it and and so there's a there are a lot of posts uh, on social media going around that specifically list out all the changes that have happened since the protests started um i encourage you to go look look those up because um yeah it's it's different this time guys it's not just something that's going to happen and go away again i'm referring to dave chapel again because i i learned so much from that guy but there was a series of tweets where someone recounted a story the story of Dave Chappelle educating someone about black history and their oppression when he was being heckled pretty much at one of his impromptu comedy sets and he talks about talked about how his friend from South Africa said the end of apartheid was um when there was a critical mass of people who cared about it and who were wanting change to happen and he said only only chance that we have as a country is to have a critical mass of people who care about uh black oppression for for any change to happen and i actually think that this is it i think right now is when we have this critical mass of people talking about it um people protesting people marching people really committing themselves to learning more about um black oppression 
I think now is the time um, that actual change is going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be all the change that we need, but who knows? It, it, might, it might be. So, yeah, I just, as parting words for this episode, I want to encourage everyone to continue what you're doing. Um, if you're protesting, continue to protest. If you're having conversations with people, um, keep having those conversations. If you're reading, learning, keep doing all of that because stuff is happening. Um, this, again, is different from any other time I've, in my lifetime, witnessed. So, yeah, thank, thank you guys um, so much for listening. Um, thank you for people who have been um, reaching out to give me feedback. Uh, let's keep it going. Let's not let this conversation just die. But, yeah, let's continue to, um, yeah, evolve ourselves and, and learn more and equip ourselves better to be allies for those who are oppressed. So, yeah, hope you guys have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.